Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. Guys, today's guest is the founder of Lane Hero, an app that is shaking up the trucking and transportation industry. He's a father, kick-ass dad, and a self-confessed hemp foods delivery guy, which I'm sure we're going to get into here very soon. Please welcome to the show, my friend, Josh Perry. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, I got something for you. You ready? I love surprises. What is it? Oh, you can't hear that, can you? <laughs> All right, so I put some, I put some applause there in the show, um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll applaud myself. I'm got, doing got, a good job. Got you today, a walkout. Right? I got you a walkout applause. I thought you were worthy of uh, of some walkout applause there, man, dude. Number one, I'm so glad you come on the show. Number two, I love what you're doing with Lane Heroes, so I want to get into that and dig into that app and where that came from. And uh, the the hemp foods, the Italian stuff there that you've got going on, dude. I don't even know where to begin with you, Josh. Tell us, to begin with, who the hell you are and what you're doing up there in Arkansas. Yeah, so so my name's Josh Perry. I'm from Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'm actually originally from the Hot Springs area. And, and we're just, you know, playing in the sandbox up here, man. I have several businesses um, going, ranging from a freight brokerage to Lane Hero, um, our application for driver services. Um, we also have a loan origination brokerage, uh, hemp pasta brand imported from Italy. We're the uh, rep for a CBD drink, who is also another ABEX member and, and um, uh, just trying to have as much fun as we can. We also do uh, uh, very large parties for uh, fraternities of you know 5,000, 6,000 people all the way down to I got a karaoke DJ going to a Indian restaurant here this upcoming week, right? <laughs> dude, how do you how do you coordinate a party for five thousand people, dude? That's all the people I know on Facebook, like in one place yeah. at one time. <laughs> it's it's a phenomenal uh, thing, and you know it's about bringing these major label artists that are going to attract that many people, and and you know the community together with these fraternities that want to show uh, their respective college a good time. You know, we even have a travel agency portion of that where, for instance, I have uh, 500 plus KA kids going to Pensacola, Florida in the spring. Wow. And uh, for the weekend, we're going to, you know, make sure they don't get arrested <laughs> basically while they're partying. Now, why would you why would you just not put money up for bail and just leave it alone, man? Kids are going to be kids. <laughs> well, there's definitely uh, um, certain relationships that make it easier to keep people out of jail. <laughs> well, we won't get into that on the show, my man. Not yet, right? <laughs> what we want to know and what everyone, all the listeners want to know is we want to know the story of Josh because you have got a incredible amount of irons in the fire. You run multiple businesses with help from, from other people for sure. Um, but it wasn't always that way, was it? So I want to hear the story of Josh as the entrepreneur. Did, did you start out? slinging candy in high school like everybody else how did you get into this uh, game well 
Well, I guess it wasn't exactly candy, right? Like, uh, um... well, I, I stopped at candy. Like, I didn't know about drugs until I got in a band and went on tour, right? So, like, <laughs> only the naughty boys at school sold drugs. Like, I'm, I'm basically <laughs> this kid that traveled around with, with two military parents. And, and then when we finally landed at a place in the United States, it was a, you know, I graduated with a class of 47 out of my high school. And, and it's probably in one of the most economically depressed rural areas that you can think of. Mm -hmm. That's a very small school, dude. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so, so our neighboring town is like this kind of wild west drug trafficking place, of, you know, that a lot of people don't know is like a, a, a real uh, draw for illegal drugs, essentially. And, uh, uh, I got involved in selling drugs pretty early Damn. and, and did, you know, went from just basically a little street hustler to, uh, uh, made it a business, I guess is the way that I'm going to call it. Right. I don't right. want to get into details or whatever, because, uh, I've, I've thankfully never been charged with felony or, or prosecuted on anything that, that caused me to have any kind of prison time or anything like that i did go to jail in several places and several towns look, look man it's it's number you know one I mean? it's, it's all it's all long past the statute of limitations and we oh, do yeah yeah way way past the statute of limitations we but, do all um, make we we all make wrong decisions at some point especially these kids and and josh if if some kids are listening that are involved in that game and trying to get into entrepreneurship trying to get out of that game don't forget you are a you're a beacon to those guys and and that's you know uh, honestly that's a lot of the drive of, to do so many things and get involved in so much cool stuff is because i recognize that fact that i am the guy who made it out of those circumstances and and essentially what what a lot of my mission and vision is for for all of these ventures mm -hmm. it's not so much attached to monetary gain but it's attached to um like how can this serve other people as the example of a, a way that you can create an income outside of a nine to five, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and you can build this from scratch and be kind of proof of concept of stuff that uh, just like Master P's doing with his uh, breakfast cereal brand that he's yeah. got partner with Snoop Dogg, you know, it's like those types of things of being a pioneer into something serve as an example to others to to inspire their greatness that they already have within them right mm -hmm. and and so it's like when you start looking at it like that and that kind of fulfillment is what drives you i think it really changes the face of not only your businesses but your own personal day and attitude and like how you deal with other people and interact with other people on a daily basis and that is um you know, something that uh, I walk around with and try to, you know, if anybody who knows me pretty well knows that I'm constantly fucking with people and like trying to have fun and poke at people and stuff. And um, uh, it's because I truly do love people and, and being that example to uh, uh, be the first one to step out there with all the risk and other things mm -hmm. is, um, is the real thrill and the real vibe for me, right? How did you learn to be like that? Pain and lots of uh, shit to have to overcome. <laughs> because ultimately, um, especially after I had my lung surgery, you know, I had half of my left lung removed and 
almost died and spent a long, long time in the hospital recovering and even longer into physical therapy and stuff. And, um, and shortly thereafter, I saw the Eric Thomas talk about if you want it as bad as you want to breathe, you'll mm -hmm. succeed. Right. And, and so that just really, really stuck with me for obvious reasons. Like, you know, he's talking about sacrificing everything and pushing everything out there. And when you're talking about looking at your breath and just keeping it that simple. So if you take that approach to everything and you look at your, your next breath is really just a gift you're not supposed to have anyway, which is kind of how I live my life. Mm -hmm. and then you, you take, we all got the same 24 hours, but if you're living it, like you might not get the next breath, you are, have sent a sense of urgency about you. That is, um, uh, back to what we were talking about off camera work ethic is will trump all <laughs> right you can have all the knowledge in the world and all the accolades and all the money and and model chicks or whatever you want but at the end of the day if you don't have the work ethic to apply that then you got diddly shit i think the exact quote we came up with was most people are lazy fuckers wasn't it that, <laughs> yeah, quote unquote most people are lazy fuckers <laughs> so know? we put that on a t-shirt but it's it's true to an extent you know, I know, I yeah. wouldn't say I wouldn't say lazy because you know, my audience especially, it, yeah, everybody's working a nine to five, but the problem is we've been conditioned to work a nine to five or an eight to five or whatever it is, and and, and we don't realize that we can start our days at five in the morning, and we can get more shit done by eight o'clock than most people achieve all day, and then you know there's that there's that golden hour from seven to nine in the evening where, you know, the, the, the kids are in a the bath, they're not making as much noise, and, you know, you can sit down and look and say, what do I want to study today? What do I want to learn today? What do I want to get done today, you know? And uh, I think a lot of people miss that because they just stop at that 9 to 5. I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily lazy, but uh, there's, there's definitely some excuses when it comes to doing the work, right? <laughs> well, and, and, and again, going back to what it took for me, right, like, like doing the work for me was I had to make these huge sacrifices to get my income up from being a poor kid from a rural area in the fucking trailer park behind the shit pond is where I'm from. Right? Well, well, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you, how you got into entrepreneurship in, in a legal way. Let's, let's tell me about your journey and how it started for you. So, so, you know, there's a transition there and stuff, right? Of course. Yeah. The, the short version is essentially that um, while I was still involved in doing some of these illegal things and stuff, I just found a sales organization, and I don't necessarily want to say who, but they're, they're a top remodeler in the nation and have a phenomenal uh, track record of getting referral business mm -hmm. consistently and one of the biggest businesses in the area that I grew up. And they gave me a shot at their call center in 2001. And so from 2000. Now, what, what were you then? I see a few gray hairs, so I'm guessing about 19. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and man, it was just this, you know, kind of war room ass, uh, uh, Wolf of Wall Street looking trap house of phone calls that we were doing to schedule appointments. And, and, you know, I was they, on and off with that. 
They still smoked back then in, in sales rooms, didn't oh, they? Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, yeah. there was an old guy who's, who's long since passed, and he was smoking in the office. And he had this real course, boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, like, dude, there was, Matt, like, there was always a few of them. I, it's, it's so funny remembering back to the late 90s because it, it was still there. There was still a few. You know, you go into restaurants, they're like smoking or non-smoking. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> now, now you couldn't, I couldn't even imagine a, a smoking section in a restaurant. And when I say it was a war room, I mean like the boss of the whole department came in one day and there was this big wheel you could spin for a prize or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this dude is so pissed off one day, he comes in and kicks that fucking wheel over and starts yelling at everybody, <laughs> if you don't get seven appointments today, you're fucking fired. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's that kind There's of always that guy. That, it's like you it, can imagine. It was them. just that vibe in those mm -hmm. days because, you know, later I worked there and it was completely different and they've completely changed their business structure and how they treat people and all that stuff into a very structured thing. And, and, and so they've won best business of the year for several years in a row and all these accolades and stuff now because they vertically integrated and they understood that they had to have everybody in, you know, the process and how to treat everybody within the process. Well, that's so, good. But that taught so you how to sell, right? They did teach me how to sell. And that's ultimately what the skill that took me from uh, that shitty trailer park to... Uh, where I am now in a downtown office and the best place to live in the United States won several years in a row. And um, I, did, I didn't you know, know you lived in my town. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas ranks pretty up there, man. And, you know, four blocks away from the U of A and, and mm. just you know, kind of living the dream. And, so I got a uh, Fayetteville story. <laughs> let's hear it. Did my, so my, my band played there, right? And we we were like we were like the headline act, so we we weren't on stage um, at all. And like they put one shitty little college band on to start the show. And after that first college band, they introduced a celebrity who just happened to be in the bar that night. And I can't remember who he was or what his name was, but he had just won the national pig calling championships, and he was a huge deal to some people in the bar. And they put him on, and this fella must have been about 350 pounds, and he proceeded to make the most random array of noises. Now, at the time, I'd worked at a pig factory, so I knew what pigs sounded like when they were in distress. And he was very, he was highly accurate. But you can imagine what this did to the audience in the bar. <laughs> yeah. And so it took about 45 minutes after he got off stage for everybody to just kind of filter back into the venue. I've never seen, I've never seen an audience destroyed so efficiently than a guy doing an impression of a pig in heat. Why is that a thing? Or is that, well, is that not a good question? Well, you know, because we're the Arkansas Razorbacks, mm -hmm. right? And so we call the hogs is mm -hmm. what we call it here. And especially in... You know, we were in, we were in Fayetteville, like we were in, and and I've never seen a bar just just kind of empty like that. Well, you know, most of the time it's not an actual pig call; it's the uh, woo pigs. Oh, right on! No, no, no. This was this was like this is like from Deliverance. <laughs> 
Was it, did you play the banjo afterwards? Right? No, no. I was strictly drums at the time. I just thought that's my my one Fayetteville story. Oh, we did go to the strip club in Fayetteville, um, but we only stayed about five minutes. It was it was quite poor. But again, at at at, at twenty years old, that's uh, I've not been in a strip club in many, many, many years. But uh, anyway, enough of Fayetteville. I want to know about your journey in entrepreneurship, man. What was your first like? I don't want to say real business because they're all real. But what was the first go at it after you'd honed well, the sales skill set? Um, um, so, so you know, I journeyed within that organization that I mentioned earlier for mm-hmm. quite a few years, kind of on and off, because I did some other things. I built towers and I, I ran around and um, uh, sold alarm systems and did construction and I, man, I just done a bunch of different things. I wanted to do everything when I grew up, not just choose what I wanted to do. Right. I said, all I did was whatever would pay me the most. So like, yeah, that's it, pretty much. Right. I, I sold when you know late teens. I think I was when I sold alarm systems door to door. You know, yeah. you, you could get told fuck off a hundred times, but man, when you sold one of those alarms, you made some money and it was good. So you know, I kind of proved myself within this corporate structure and and shortly after i'd had a kid so they kind of knew i was a little bit more serious about yeah i was going to take my career and stuff and and so i worked my way from like appointment scheduling on up into the sales division and then i kind of tapped out there but i knew there was this other position where you could be an over-the-road salesperson Mm -hmm. and look i've been traveling my whole life i'm like that's the travel part was not a big deal but I've seen this sixty-five-ish thousand dollar a year cap here, and I've seen three hundred thousand dollars a year over here. And right. Like, oh, let's fucking go get that right. And so I'm like poking at them every day about hiring me and moving me into that position, and they just wouldn't go. So one of the other guys who was who I knew from the company had went off and started his own window company, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of had been talking to him and he basically recruited me to come over and run his outside sales team. He only had a couple guys at the time and long story short, within two years, we were running all over the Southeast part of the United States. And there was like 40 guys on the road and we're all talking to each other and texting on group chat and stuff and doing hundreds of thousands of dollars of sales of a month, right? Between all of us. And, and we grew the company from, he had invested like 50 or $60,000 into it just a few months prior and flipped a house that he had some other profits from. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I had left and there was this big disagreement over money, he and I had, uh, that I'll, I'll get to later, uh, uh, his company was worth like $12.4 million. And so, um, you know, that was kind of, I feel like my first uh, uh, legal entrepreneurship venture, you know, because I mean, at the same time, I'm selling weed and pills and whatever else I can get my hands on as far as uh, bartering with other drug dealers and, you know, all these other things to, to survive and make the rent because, you know, I just didn't know how to manage money coming from no money. Right, right. And right. So, like, blowing through it and spending it and it's it's just you know oh i finally got money at sixty thousand dollars a year and you know i should be worrying about my fucking 401k right you know or, um, at, at that age so you're just rich on fridays 
yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, um, I was playing music at, at a portion of that. And so I'm like, you know, heavy into a drinking problem and, and playing at the bars three nights out of the week. In addition to that, and, and here's going back to the work ethic stuff. Here's the thing that people don't understand. They look at me today and they say, how do you do all this stuff, Josh? And how do you have all these businesses? And what they don't realize is I actually work less now than I kind of ever have in the past 15 or 18 years. Cause I've been working 16, 18, 18 hour days, like, like 20 to 25 days out of the month for, for that entire time. Right. And, and, you know, when, when you're used to working that much, the amount that you can get done in an eight or nine hour day is um, uh, pretty amazing when you're utilizing other people's time and other people's money and, and all the things it takes to be a, an effective conduit in whatever market you're happen to be at, you know? I mean, that's, that's really the key. That's really the key to, to, to scaling is, is to having the procedures in place and having other people's time and other people's resources on your team. That's, I mean, you know, I was saying in, uh, in Friday Fire that went out actually today as we were recording this, um, I was saying in that how there seems to be this magical cap between, you know, three and $350,000 a year that entrepreneurs can hit and they, they have to have an ego death and, and they have to build a team if they want to get beyond that cap. So, and, and I hit that at one point. And so, you know, I kind of tell people like this, I chased fame at one point in my life, kind of got it and, and was not interested, you know, after that, like, what, what did it. you, what did you play? What kind of, you said a musician. Yeah, so, I mean, you can see, I got a, I got a guitar. Oh, there's a guitar there in the background. Yeah. Um, but like people put guitars in the, in the background of their shit all the time. Cause they want to look cool. I can actually man. play mine. Right? I, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you going to play us a song. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, I did. Maybe another episode, huh? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, now I did a, a cover cover band with stuff like you know, uh, Collective Soul and Soundgarden, mm -hmm. and Kid Rock, and all that kind of era stuff. And um, it's, it's all did. the best music, obviously. You know, it's, it's out. Yeah, it's yeah, our yeah, era. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I, I had think... a comedy acoustic gig that I used to do, and then we had a full original band, and I did some kind of kind of entertainment management stuff, even going back to like I don't know 2006 and 2007. So, um, you know, we're we're back in that and doing that full time too, and and used all these connections that have been from that era, even mm -hmm. because like. It was weird to me. The door door opened back up, and it was like all the same songs and all the same artists I was, you know, messing with fifteen years you ago. Know, you know what's you know what's really weird now is that all of that genre you're talking about is now considered classic rock, and it, it's 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 held in the same breath as Zeppelin and Queen and Pink Floyd and all the guys we thought were classic rock going up. Now all the kids think that our shit's classic rock. Like, oh goodness me. We are the classic rock, is what you're saying. All, the, all the gray in the beard. I know, like, dude. We match. Away, we match. <laughs> but no, I, I didn't realize we had such a close, uh, close musical connection. I, I really didn't. We, we probably played a few of the same bars. Probably <clears throat> so, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, it's a small world like that, you know. It, it really is when you get when you get up there in music that there's, uh, yeah, it gets smaller and smaller circles. It, it really does. So, um, dude, I, I want to hear. 
And I know this. Uh, I, I I know I don't know if you want to go there or not, but this podcast is is kind of aimed at guys that are trying to get where the guests are going, trying to get to where you're at. What went wrong? What went wrong in the sales job when that company was scaling to be worth over twelve million dollars? What lessons did you draw from having to leave that position? I'm I'm so glad you asked that because it's just a phenomenal story, and it really it really shows what it takes um, in a lot of cases. Because I, I there's a billionaire guy I know, and I asked him what he would do different, kind of similar to how you asked me. Mm-hmm said I would collaborate more than I would conflict mm. and and he just left it at that and he didn't elaborate on that so so what happened with this guy was you know I'm working a 1099 sales job and stuff and I won't get into how it happened or any of that shit but he ended up owing me $28,712.17 and uh, I was pretty upset about it and I literally chased him around his own building to try to whoop whoop his ass. You know what I mean? Like I'm like that uh, mad about it. And I was mad about it for many, many years too, because. Well, you know the exact amount, like you had to be mad. It, it was so impactful to me. And that's why I remember the exact amount and stuff is because what, what happened, what ended up happening with this and you got to understand not just a few years before that, I hadn't even made $30,000 in a year. Right. I was like 18000 or $19,000 before I got this sales job and stuff a year. And that was a lot of money back in those days. I, right? I would imagine that that, that was you know, a, a huge percentage of your net worth as well. It absolutely was. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, I got knocked back on my ass with this huge amount of money, five figures. To me, five figures was like, a life-changing amount of money at right. that point, my thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And so what what I was able to do was kind of break free of that thinking because I actually ended up proving to myself that I could bounce back from a hit like that. And I went and got another sales job doing the exact same thing with a different company and built out their sales team and built another multi-million dollar business, like literally right behind that one. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Now that then just ended up having some bad management and it didn't work out. And you know, I had to go on and do other things because they couldn't work it out. But it proved to me that no matter what amount of money, and this is how I still think about it to this day, no matter what amount of money I am down or the chips are down, I know for a fact I can come back from that. And it could be $10 million or $100 million, and I would treat it just the same as that amount of money that he owed me at that point. Because oh, being able to overcome that hurdle of that, that fear that we get from risk taking, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Pushed me to further heights than, than I ever could have dreamed of. And it broke me free of this cocoon of limitation that I had to be able to make these bigger decisions and do international deals with Italy and the Philippines and India. And, you know, I, I was hell, I was born in the UK as you were, you know what I mean? Except I've lived in America my whole life. Yeah. My, so, my accent stayed. <laughs> yeah. I had one until I was three. Mummy. You know, Mummy. Mummy. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you were an adorable three year old. Um, you know, kind of with this too, and this is the best part of this story in my opinion. So so 
I got stuck in hot springs because of a storm a couple years ago on St. Patrick's Day. And so I seen on Instagram that a friend of mine was there who runs a major record label and, you know, he's a, he's a pretty big deal guy, right? And so anyway, he invited me to dinner because I was stuck in town and said he could get me a room and, and he would take care of everything. So we go to dinner with like these 12 people and it's like owner of a record label and and professional personal chef and and a TV star and his wife and uh, a guy who owns a major car dealership in the area and all these high prolific people. I don't want to get into who they are or whatever, but mm -hmm. um, afterwards, after dinner, we decide we're going to go to this bar across the street. And this guy who owes me this money, I see him as soon as we walk in the bar. And so you got to imagine there's like 12 yeah. people walking in this bar. They're all rap stars, rock stars, TV stars, models, professional chefs, whatever. Right. And so I see the guy and I point at him and I go, Hey, you, I'm going to buy you a shot. Stay right there. Okay. And that's all I say to the guy. I go to the bar, I buy a shot for all my friends and I buy this guy a shot too. And I'm walking over to him with this shot and he's a curly headed guy. And he goes, Hey man, what's up? Da, 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 da. And I said, hey, man, you remember the $28,712.17 that you owe me? And he was like, what? Blah, blah, blah. And he's anyway with his buddies and stuff there. And and one of his buddies kind of comes up to me like he's going to fight me. And he weighs him off or whatever. And and I go, I said, I grabbed him by the head of his hair and tilted his head back. And I said, open your mouth. And I've got this shot in my hand. And he goes, what is it? And I'm like, it's peanut butter whiskey. Open your fucking mouth. <laughs> and then I, that's all I explained to him. And uh, and so he does. And I pour the shot down his throat and he tries to go into this. Oh, well, it's good to see you. And thanks for that. And, and I'm like, no, 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 man. Hold up. Don't you want to know why I gave you the shot? And he goes, uh, uh, yeah. I said, well, you know, that amount of money that I that I mentioned earlier, um, I, it was just a thank you for doing that to me or for me is the way that I'm going to put it. And I was able to sit there and I said, because without that, I, I would not have been able to accomplish all these things. And granted, it was an ego moment, but I literally sat there and went down the list of all the businesses that I have, my app company, my pasta company, and like showed him all my bank accounts and revenues from it, like right there in, in the bar or whatever. And, um, and it was such a... Uh, a freeing thing and such like a revelation type of moment for me to going back to what that billionaire told me that throughout his life, what he would have changed is he would have collaborated more than conflict. Mm -hmm. And what resulted in the end of that conversation and that bar is uh, I'm actually going to do a talk at one of his sales meetings to give all of his salespeople that used to do the job that I did for him my my app tool that will help them save money and route their trips more efficiently and do all the things that they need to do while they're on the road selling windows for it. Well, I hope there's a $30,000 consulting fee attached. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, again, it's just collaborate more than conflict. And I could press that issue and I could, you know, be that guy or whatever. But But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, uh, if that's the lesson I had to learn to do business directly with him, it was worth it. Dude, and you'd be shocked at just how much value you can get 
out of those type of lessons. And in the moment, losing $28,000 was the most devastating thing that you could think of. And yet, in reality, it was the absolute fire you needed under your ass to get out there and say, you know what, I made this money once. I can make it twice, three times, and 10 times, and 100 times. And uh, it lit you up. So guys, if you're sucking it up and if somebody owes you a shitload of money and it's ruining your shit just think about josh and his story and how sometimes letting go of that and focusing on the fact that you got the lesson uh it can really pay dividends just never quit never quit just know know deep inside of you that you will never ever ever quit until you hit a box Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely dude all right um tell me a little bit now about Dude, do do we go down the lane hero or do we go down the Italian spaghetti lane? What are we going to do here? What are you going to talk about? Man, I mean, we can kind of do both here. I'll be real brief on on both. Uh, so lane hero, we just did the Route 66 fest. No, 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 no. What, what, what is lane hero, dude? Come on, what, what is, is it? it? Yeah, oh, what is it? How can it benefit? And, and how can we talk about it in front of the audience so they can benefit from it? Because there are some guys that listen to me that have trucking companies, dude. You know that. So, yeah, yeah. Like, so tell um, me about lane hero. It, it, the best way is really just to look at it even. And, and so it's built as a driver services app to help drivers manage their trips and costs. And what we ended up doing is we audited 150 plus drivers in my freight brokerage company mm-hmm. and basically just asked them if you could have the coolest thing you ever had on your phone, like what would it do? And then the answer that we got is we just don't, we just want people to value us basically mm-hmm. in a, in a kind of a truck driver type of way to project that information. You'd be shocked at how big an issue that is in, in the industry, like valuing drivers and drivers feeling appreciated and feeling wanted. I bet you probably wouldn't since as you're in the industry, but like driver appreciation and retention is huge, dude. And I've been, I've been a huge driver, even myself, even though I've never had a CDL, you know, my, I'm a third generation transportation professional. My dad just recently, uh, retired from 45 years of driving and my mom held the CDL for 28 years before she passed away. So, you know, um, I, I am very well versed in having to get around in a motor vehicle. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, so I designed this app that, that would work because I found a lot of top-down enterprise solutions. I designed this app that would work for what I call the guy behind the windshield and the wheel or gal even. Right, know? right. Um, and and so this, this will allow you to talk to your phone or headset and give you the trip cost of any trip in any vehicle with a VIN number. So, so if it's a Freightliner Cascadia, it's going to give you a truck route and it's going to tell you all the expenses for that route with that vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore you have your all in cost before you ever turn the key on that vehicle of making that trip. And that allows, you know, a commercial driver to quote more accurately Absolutely. out of it yeah. more in the marketplace and also not run into one of these bad actors who's trying to get, 70 or 80 percent margins off of the backs of the american truck driver right yes i've seen i've seen that a lot in the load industry yeah and so you know um once 
it, we're really building the biggest driver services app ever to exist um, is, is kind of the goal. And where we've started with that is a cost calculator. Um, but we're, we're moving and pushing in directions of even looking at payment solutions and looking at different uh, routing options. We figure IFTA already will allow you to uh, route in and add uh, additional expenses like hotel and maintenance and mm -hmm. insurance to where where you know you know exactly what's going on with that trip. And we right. believe that even even beyond the trucking industry, there's implications in like service work for plumbers and HVAC. Absolutely, yeah. Doing commercial work. Mm -hmm. And even um, going down to rideshare companies, you know, we have some cop uh, talks and stuff that we're doing there uh, um, to to show rideshare drivers exactly what a trip will cost and have, you know, integrations that will be uh, uh, everybody knows exactly what type of money they're walking away from mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Because yeah. you can have the revenues. Look, you can have millions of dollars worth of revenues. If you're making 2% margins on a million dollars, you're still going to be starving, right? Right, no and doubt. It's true for a $10 or $20 transaction um, as it is for a million dollar transaction. Mm -hmm. So um, we're, we're pushing hard on the marketing. We have a, a, a channel partnership agreement out to the Arkansas Trucking Association. And we have some other partnerships that we're exploring and adding turn-by-turn -turn directions here. We're actually rolling out here in the next couple of days a 30-day free trial as well that will allow people to just utilize the tool. Um, it's very, very cost-effective. It's $20 a month or $100 a year per user. Mm -hmm. And we want it to be accessible to the people that drive America because, you know, I'm very passionate about knowing the American truck driver is the most important person on the planet because they drive the largest economy in the world. Everything Without comes on a truck. Driving everything, mm -hmm. right? Like everything comes to a halt. Dude, everything so, comes on a truck. Everything you have comes on a truck. It's been on a truck at some point, probably on several trucks to get where it's going. So, you know. You know, we have plans with international release and our app works in several different languages and already accepts several different currencies, pretty much unlimited on those. And well, let's... So, Let's touch on the app for a minute, because I know there's a lot of people, like, they go, oh, you know, I've got this really great idea for an app. Um, all like, apps start as a great idea. <clears throat> what were some of the more serious challenges and setbacks that you had when put... <laughs> Sorry, I saw the look on your face. I, I did, but the point of the show is an educational show for entrepreneurs. Yeah. So how hard was it to get where you're at? Come on, dude. <laughs> so so I have a lot of people who approach me to build their apps or help them develop an app now. And, and I tell everybody, I'm like, this is going to be the most difficult emotional journey you've ever made with any business. Mm -hmm. Because the, the, the thing with app development is you've just got to be so persistent and you've got, there's this painstaking iterative process. You know, I, I, you got to understand, I guess I come from this world of one call closes and uh. being able to sign paperwork. over. <laughs> the and so I go from mm -hmm. that into this very iterative, like organizational, yep. very structured fucking, we got to, 
we got to have the architect before we lay the foundation, mm -hmm. before we build the, and I'm like, what the fuck, man, just throw up the walls and we got a building, you know, like, no, it just doesn't work like that. And, um, so I had to just, and, and this is my one trait again, going back to what you should do is just never give up. Right. I'm a very persistent person. I'm, I'm like one of these guys where once I get something in my head and it doesn't matter what it is, I just don't let go of it. And I'm just so persistent on pursuing it. And, and it, I can just decide one day and, and then I'll ride with that track. You know, I recently quit uh, drinking and went sober and I just one day said, you know what, I'm gonna stop drinking and I haven't had a drink since and I don't think about it. And I'm just one of those weirdos like that. Right. But, um, <laughs> You know, I'm sober too, right? Before you go calling yeah, all of yeah, us weirdos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you know, the persistence that's required to take hit after hit after hit after hit on this app development thing and just pour more money into it or take all these rejections from these VC companies. And, you know, I just recently had one that two years ago promised me, hey, go get a friends and family round of 50K and, you know, we'll fund you for half a million dollars. And it was like a soft offer, right? Mm -hmm. And then I go to them, you know, a week ago or whatever, and they're like, well, the market, and, you know, nobody's really investing right now. And that doesn't necessarily feel good. But, but you know, I also recognized that maybe they were just trying to talk me down so they could buy it cheaper. Oh, maybe so. Maybe so. And you like, start looking at how they craft their sales conversations. And once you kind of get to a certain point and you can start to be more strategic in how you uh, place yourself, if you're exiting for, for sale. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so just having a plan with an app on what the hell you're going to do with this thing, or if you're going to ride it to your grave is, is like half the battle. And that's one of the first questions I ask everybody is like, all right, you want an app. Cool. What do you want to do with it? And what happens after you're done with it? Mm -hmm. And, and if they don't really have a plan for that, like the conversation doesn't go a whole lot further than that. And well, I'll, that, that... I'll phone some rough numbers on what I think it's going to cost. And if they're like, yeah, let's do it. Then I'm now we got to drill down on what are your real aims and mm -hmm. why do you really want to do this? And what is this going to be fulfilling for you? Or is it just going to, drain every ounce of life out of how you feel about your life when you're taking development calls at 1 a.m. because you know the fucking thing crashed and everybody who you got working on it's in the Philippines and it's 9 a.m. there mm -hmm. and you still got to get it up and running right and so you need to rely on your resources in another country and that are up and about except you're the one who's still got to get out of bed to make the phone call yep yeah, no, I mean, like building an app is, is like building any business, really, because that, that, that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to have a purpose and eventually make a profit. And so those questions out at the beginning are questions that all entrepreneurs should be asking rather than just the guys developing an app. It's like, you know, what are you doing this for? How long are you going to do it? What are you going to do with it when you've done it? <laughs> like nobody, myself included, nobody thinks of that when they start these things out. And now if you, if you think about it and have a plan for what you're trying to do, um, everything's so much more clear. What so would you, to, sorry, go on. When you put your nose on the grindstone, you can't see how sharp the blade's getting. That's true. That's true. Yeah. We should put that on a t-shirt too. 
Hashtag Arkansas. I don't know about that. Oh man! <laughs> Look, oh, don't do that to me, Sam. Look, uh, it's, it's that is weed is legal in Arkansas, though, isn't it? Is it? No. Isn't it? It's not. It's CBD. And uh, Delta Eight uh, um, synthetic products as well. No kidding. I, I, yeah, it's yeah, hard so. to keep up with what's legal. I know they sell some CBD in the gas stations around in Texas, but um, no, it looks like uh, it looks like Colorado is going to be the option. No, it's Oklahoma that's that's doing that. So that's near Arkansas, isn't it? It is. Yep. Right. Where Tulsa is two hours from me. Okay, that's not too far. Um, all right. So moving on. Um, I still need to know about the hemp pasta that you guys have got going on. And then I want to know about <clears throat> about your upcoming appearance on a television show. Because you've got that going on too, don't you? Yeah, yeah. we got television show and stuff um, popping off here late summer. But, um, you know, the pasta, that's kind of a funny story too. And I'll, I'll go through it as quick as I can. I had a drug dealer friend of mine who sold weed and probably makes a hundred thousand dollars a month selling weed and has for probably twenty years or eighteen years or something. Well, we, we won't mention his name. No, yeah, definitely not going to mention him. But um, uh, I had this guy approach me and tell me that he wanted to go legit, right? And so he wanted to start a CBD company, and he knew I'd built and scaled all these other companies. Mm -hmm. And he's a good friend of mine, so I like asked him, uh, he asked for my help. And I'm like, okay, well, let me do some research, because I don't know shit about CBD. All <laughs> I've ever did is the same thing you're talking about, right? Like that you do, right? And uh, I put I put that down years ago at that point, right? Um, so I start doing research for this CBD company and going on LinkedIn and scouring and all these other networking groups. And I find this hemp cheese. And I'm like, that is really cool. Like, I never even thought to do that. Well, kind of going down that rabbit hole, this guy's from Italy. And I'm like, Italy, okay. Well, I guess they got good cheese. That's cool. And um, so we kind of are chatting back and forth on LinkedIn and for, you know, a couple weeks. And then one day he suggests we hop on a call and we start talking and uh, learning a little bit about each other. He runs this wine business and his factory has been in or his uh, family's been in the wine business for a long time. Mm -hmm. He's got this other import item that he did, coconut water to Vietnam. And uh, he's just a really interesting guy, right? So a couple more months of talking and chatting and stuff, and he tells me about this recipe he's got for pasta. And I'm like, the hemp pasta? And he's like, yeah. So, so about a year more of talking with this guy, and we're just like, pen pals almost right right, right yeah every, every once in a while we're having a video chat and he he learns about my logistics company i'm running and all that stuff and and then uh then one day he comes hey knock it off up. you're the guy i've been looking for and i'm like what are you talking about roberto you know like that, that sounds kind of creepy bro i don't know if there's something wrong in the translation or, <laughs> you, know? you never and know goes, these italians you know, yeah, like, what, am I getting murked at the damn, uh, you know, Italian restaurant at Carmine's or whatever, you know, but um, anyway, so long story short, he, he sends me some of this pasta, 
and he says, I want you to be my logistics guy in the United States. And I agree to that. And I tell him, look, I got a warehouse and I can do all this stuff. And we transport all over the U.S. and Canada anyway. So it'll be really easy integrated into my systems. And uh, I could build ERP and all these other things that I've learned running a logistics company. And um, so I try some and I'm like, holy shit, that is really good. No kidding. You know, it's phenomenal. Um, Was it gluten free too? So, so we have a gluten-free version, but even our non-gluten-free version, we've had people with celiac disease eat it and be just fine. Mm -hmm. uh, because, because what Roberto did in Italy is he took control because he understands about supply chain. He took control of the supply chain from a food standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so we actually get this particular wheat that's like an untouched non-GMO crop from this old, old farm in Italy. That's what you need. Yeah. Particular hemp uh, that is grown for us at, for the protein in the seed. And, you know, it doesn't get you high or anything like that. It's, it's for the protein. And we take it to the factory and they mix it with this spring water that's like inside part of the factory, how it was built, right? Mm -hmm. And and it just creates this amazing product that is one of the healthiest things in the world you can put in your body. And and you could probably see there's a bunch of it behind me here. Yeah, yeah, I see it in the background there. You know, we we can do any kind of shape you want and and we're looking at a deal to distribute in seventy two markets across the nation with US foods and and some other stuff now after what I call kicking the ball down the road for going on four years now. And, and so we just progressed with it. And at one point he offered me a large portion of equity in the company. And, and we kind of decided that I could handle this portion of these responsibilities and he would handle this portion in these. And, you know, we partnered with some pretty amazing people and some big chefs and food service companies and, stuff like that to get it to where it is today and and we just are having fun with it giving great food to great people and and you know for me personally even i had a problem eating pasta after my gallbladder surgery and having it removed and and i don't have a problem with this pasta right so if 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 i wanted to get some of this pasta or somebody listening to the show wanted to get some where would they get the pasta from so we could try it Yep. Uh, operations at ItalianHempFoods.com is the only place you can currently get it. Uh, we are building a website and everything. I have my friend Travis from Lens Audio building out a world-class website and marketing um, kind of device. We're actually going to be doing a live cooking over here at Art Ventures in Fayetteville, Arkansas on, on July 11th, if anybody would want to join us for filming we'll have some available there for sale as well. Oh, dude, that'd be awesome. Yeah. All right, my man. We are almost up on time, Josh. But uh, no, I want to thank you for coming and hanging out with us first off. And I want to ask you a couple of questions that, that, dude, that I ask all of my guests. Um, the first one, I want to know what books you've read recently that have left an impression on you. Recently... Um... So I, I have actually gotten more, and I'll just show you the one. I can see I about 10 of them behind you there on the shelf. Yeah, I, I do read a lot, but I've gotten more just where I'm at in my personal life uh, with doing, doing stuff like this. I have 
the this book is the eight keys to wholeness the tools for hope field healing and you know it talks about chakras and utilizing your energy correctly and and stuff like that now hold on i'm i'm all about that kind of book like don't yeah. don't put that don't put that shit down don't put that on the back burner people don't realize just how much we are based on energy and how much the the human experience is governed by thoughts and feelings and so books like that that you're holding even though most of us are sitting around looking at traction and limitless and marketing books and everything else the the, the book that you're holding there is vitally important to the well-being of the entrepreneur so if you guys haven't found mindset work yet take heed of what Josh is showing because the, the mindset is, it's a massive pillar of getting this entrepreneurship right. So. Yeah. And I've, I've made the mistakes in the past of, of only doing the business books and, you know, like I'm reliving the cold Grant Cardone University right now in addition <laughs> from, I, you know, I, I did it like the second year he came out with it. But right. Resurfacing that. Um, the other one that I really like is the Little Red Book of Selling. Oh like yes, dude! I forgot that book exists. I have a copy of it somewhere. I don't even know I where give, it is. I give that book away to yep. a lot of people because mm -hmm. it's really, really a good one for pragmatic use. And then um, it is a very good book. I don't know where my man. Now I'm looking around, see if I can see it. <laughs> I'll, I'll kind of double up here on you know you asked about the TV show stuff. Yeah, there the the blocks TV show um, is is what I was featured on for season eight. And they've actually added a five thousand dollar prize now to it. What and What was that experience like, dude? Being on being on TV. Yeah, it's it was a uh, uh, super fun, especially being around uh, fifty nine other entrepreneurs and having that kind of energy in the room mm -hmm. and that kind of excitement and that all all pushing to innovate kind of energy going on. Um, in addition to that, the you know the. The coursework and the and the educational aspect of that mm -hmm. of of not only what they're teaching but that you learn from each other in an experiential kind of way of who you end up linking up with and and doing stuff even outside of the coursework with is is you know your network is your net worth yeah and, and a lot of the people on that show have been on a very meteoric rise uh, I'll, I'll mention my friend Luciano from Cleveland. Uh, shout out Cleveland. Uh, the he owns the Cleveland Crunch, the in, major indoor soccer league team over there. Oh, nice. He went from just owning that one team to now he is the director of expansion for the entire league. Oh, in wow! A very, very short time, and he's fixing to bring uh, major league indoor soccer to a lot of places across America, and um, you know, so stuff like that um, is is also it's just as important to read to learn but it's also just as important to experience to learn yeah and to look at even paid investment in your education and paying to get in the right rooms to listen and be interact with the right people because it can just elevate you so much quicker than oh. you ever realize until you amen. actually right? amen look like everything's pay to play once you understand that, then you figure out what you want to pay and what games you want to play. Like everything is though. If you want to get into the room with the, the nine and the 10 figure guys, you, you got to show up and you've got to do the work and you've got to pay the money to get in there.
And then you got to do more big shit, right? Like you got to step it up and get, you know, keep trying to move levels up. And that's uh, uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's the, the, but that's where the that's where the growth comes from, dude. The growth comes from the discomfort. It comes from going. You know what? I, I'm gonna have to figure this out, or I, I'm gonna I'm gonna fail. You know, it comes from stepping outside that comfort zone. That's where the that's where it, the growth happens, dude. All right, last question before we wrap up this interview, buddy. Um, and again, thank you for coming, hanging out with us, and pouring into the audience. I gotta ask. There's a lot of up-and-comers listening to this show there's a lot of younger guys listening to it and i know that they're not gonna listen one way or another to us old fuckers i know it but if you could go back and reach out to a younger version of josh that needed some advice what's that piece of advice that you give him shut the hell up let go of the wrong people quicker man that's so difficult to do it's wonderful advice, man. Wonderful advice. Give us a, give us, give us a lesson on how to do that because uh, it's very difficult to let the wrong people go, uh, and I know how advantageous it is when you finally cut out the people that are slowing you down and cut out the people that are holding you back. But from an emotional standpoint, it's very difficult for a young man, especially, to do. Can you can you give some advice on how to do that? particularly difficult as you said because you don't love this person any less exactly and, and that's that doesn't change and that can be a really it can feel like you're like ripping yourself apart or you're getting a pound of flesh taken every time you got to cut the negative people out of your life but um but that shit will poison you and it will poison everything that you do around that too and and then exposure by uh, by proxy, you know, even in going back to my legal drug days, right? Like even mm -hmm. in the law, if you're in the wrong car with a guy who's got a bunch of Molly and fucking LSD and, you know, a bunch of weed or whatever happens to be illegal in that particular state, like you're just as guilty as they are. But it, once you realize that it works the opposite way too, mm -hmm. then then you can start to leverage that position and you can be around the positive people like yourself and um, the people that are going to influence you to grow and to push further and to be something bigger than you are um, rather than hold you down like crabs in a bucket, man. And, and the love thing, I don't have any less love for anybody that I've ever cut out of my, out of my life. And it, and it does, it, there's a certain amount of pain involved mm -hmm. in certain amount of people out of my life or in, and especially certain deep relationships. Um, but at the end of the day, if I've really valued that person, me putting them at least at arm's length to elevate myself mm -hmm. ultimately helps them in the long run. And you have to be focused on the journey and the result of being able to help that person, um, um, or support that person anyway in breaking free of that shell that they've created for themselves of negativity or just toxic nature or you know what i mean whatever you're that you're is. you're a hundred percent right man and it, it's it's difficult when you're living in it because you don't realize just how few people 
are like us, are wired like us. Um, you know, for every entrepreneur listening, guys, you're in eight percent of the population. Like, there's eight percent of us. Like, well, it's 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 it's, it's a halfway <laughs> effective ones, but really effective ones are even smaller, right? Well, it's actually about it's about one percent of that eight percent that are really effective. It's a very 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 small number. But if you're an entrepreneur, you're in a you're in a pretty exclusive club as it is, and being around other people that, that, that don't understand what we do or how it works, uh, they often have negative attitudes and, and it's really difficult. And you get along a lot better when you start surrounding yourself with people that are all moving on the same frequency as you and uh, can help lift each other up. So, dude, phenomenal advice, Josh. Um, man, I sincerely appreciate you coming out and hanging out with us for an hour today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Last question for everybody that has enjoyed the show. Where can they find you? Where can they find more about Lane Hero? And uh, what other social links do you have for us to throw out? Yeah, so, so lanehero.net um, is our website. And there's a, there's a download there. You can find us on Google Play or the Apple Store by just simply searching Lane Hero. We just recently put out a, a publication on Market Watch as well. So you can check out our story on Market Watch about what we're doing with Lane Hero and our mission and vision. Um, we, uh, as far as finding me, uh, at Lane Hero Boss is my Instagram handle. That's actually my personal one. I typically use for entertainment stuff. And, and so if you're interested in booking any kind of entertainment shows across the country, we do that as well. And then, um, you know, the, the website for that is Turnip Blood, like blood out of a turnip. Turnip ENT, Blood, yeah. <laughs> turnipbloodent.com. And um, we'd love to help you with any entertainment or production stuff. Um, even going to, to, you know, I mean, we just had Juicy J and Bone Thugs and Harmony and a whole bunch of big name acts like that um, over here in Fayetteville. So It sounds like a hell of a time, man. We try to have fun, man. I, and look, going back to um, just being so thankful for being on the podcast with you, Sam. And, and you know, I love that sexy brain of yours, <laughs> how, it, how it ticks through the entrepreneurial journey. And, um, and I'm just you know, so grateful to be able to pour into other entrepreneurs. And, and, you know, if you guys got any questions or want to connect with me on that Instagram and ask me something or, or pick my brain on something, like I'm never too busy as despite all the things that I do. Like I said, I actually work less now. And part of that is, and I take out a good deal of portion of time to pour into other people. So thank you for giving me, you know, an outlet to do that. Well, thanks for that, Josh. Man, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man, and hanging out. Um, guys, that is Josh Perry. You can find him at Lane Hero Boss on Instagram. We'll throw his links in the show notes. And if you liked what he had to say today or if you enjoyed the show, please do us a favor. Jump on there, share the show, leave a five-star review, give us a shout-out, mash the like and subscribe button. Josh is uh, hammering the screen there. And uh, as always, guys, I love getting to do this for a living. I feel blessed and privileged that you'll listen. So thank you so much. And uh, you'll be good this week. And I'll catch you on Friday with another episode of Friday Fire. All right, take care. This has been the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. If you've made it this far, you clearly like it. So go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps people find the show and spread the good word. 
share with friends, and follow us at Small Business Surgeon on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you for your follow-up next week.